1: Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 17th. Just when you think the tennis world is going to take a bit of a break, you're going to have some time to reflect, look back at all of the action that's happened in 2019. It throws a week like this in your face. Two ATP events, three WTA events, Laver Cup this weekend, an incredibly compelling challenger in Columbus with some of our Crack Rackets favorites, former college players. Current college guys, just a lot of narratives to monitor this week to help me keep track of all of those things. I brought in our tennis.com insider, tennis channel insider, and one of our favorite members of the Crack Rackets family, Kale Hammond. Welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm yeah. pumped. I'm pumped for this one. I checked the live score apps, you know, to see what's going on, and I just had a complete panic attack. I was like, Oh my god, there's 11 <laughs> events going on. I'm this is going to uh, be. Uh, There's no way I'm going to be able to keep up with all of these. It's insane.
1: It's unbelievable because it's not only hardcourt events, right? Or at least at the challenger level you don't just have. You have the Asian hardcourt swing at the WTA and ATP level, but then really challengers throughout the world and we talked about this on our GSP Sunday night. I mean, so many tournaments going on, so many players using this end of season as an opportunity to either you know push themselves into the top 100, push themselves into the top 50. All of these different chances now that you know some of the bigger names will ease back as the schedule goes on towards the year. There are ton of opportunities for a lot of players i'm i'm curious what what are your thoughts on this time of the tennis season
2: it makes sense that they do this you know because it's the week after the u.s open and only so many people are playing second week of the u.s open so there's you know there's not as much going on so it makes sense that, that things really kick start here but i mean it is just an insane amount of tennis these players are all over the world it's funny the, the asian swing is is interesting you know you get interesting results there you know people Americans especially don't really like playing there um, and a lot of that has to do with the food that they get to eat. It's funny like WTA players will joke about like how much weight they're gonna lose when they go on the Asian swing because it's you know they're not used to that kind of food that they can get. You know, or they're not. You know, trying hard enough. I don't really know. I've never, I've never been. <laughs> have you?
1: <laughs> no. Well, I've actually have been to China, and let me say, I thought the food was delicious. But I was there in a you know tourist capacity. I'm not there trying to make sure my 150 pound frame stands up perfectly so that I can play the neck You know, three out of the next four weeks. Uh, yeah, I imagine. You know, the 12 hour time difference. All of these things are adjustment, and that's you know part of the fun of the mini break is every day we're going to get to talk about these different storylines that emerge because in the past we've seen. Uh, on the ATP side, I think, last year. Medvedev made a really big push at the end of last year. Obviously, Kachanov, Sok, the the last two Paris Masters winners. You look at the female side last year, Sabalenka, the run she went on to set herself up at the beginning of this year in the top 10. Those are the sort of things that can happen during the Asian swing. But before we talk about any of that, which, as I mentioned, we'll try and cover all of those tournaments throughout today's podcast, I want to start with a very fun, non-professional tour event that I know you got the chance to attend this weekend. We always appreciate in the tennis community when those outside of it, particularly celebrities, you know, for athletes from outside the world, or the Ben Stillers, the Tiger Woods, the Lindsey Vons, who are all showing up at the U.S. Open. Give uh, Kobe Bryant recently, recently with Coco Golf and, and Serena on Twitter. Give the sport of tennis love. This weekend, you got to go to one of the premier celebrity tennis events on the tennis calendar, the Pro Celebrity Tennis Classic, an event benefiting the Dirk Nowitzki uh, Foundation at the SMU Tennis Complex in Dallas. I don't even know where to begin. So, Kale, for our listeners who are unaware, I guess, of what that event is, can you tell them a little bit about it, and then what you got to see this weekend?
2: Yeah, it was it was really amazing. It was Dirk, you know, the Dirk Nowitzki Foundation had a dinner and an auction and a celebrity tennis tournament, um, all raising money for for really good causes. It had to do with you know issues involving mass incarceration. Um, so there was a, there was a foundation they were donating to, you know, that helped young young kids who had their mothers in prison. And it was really an, it was really cool, you know. They played a couple of videos and everyone was crying. But uh, the event was just so well run, and Dirk did such a good sh- such a good job. He was such a showman the whole time. He was in the zone the whole time. He just smiling, talking to everyone. Really put on a great performance, and especially on the tennis court. I mean, this guy battled <laughs> out there. He tried so hard and put so much heart into it. By the end of it, he could—he literally couldn't even walk by the end of it. He was done. His ankle was swelling up to the size of, of, of a balloon. But it was really fun, you know, seeing him play and all the trash talk they were talking. Um, the event was nuts. So it was Tommy Haas was one of the pros. Mark Knowles was another pro. Um and John Isner was another pro, so they were all there playing with, you know, people who sort of um, donated a lot to the foundation that got the opportunity to play, and that one of my one of my friends, Haralabob Volgaris, so you know who he is, he was the guy who, one of my friends who got the ticket, and so he invited me, and it was an unbelievable experience, you know, Rick Carlisle's there hanging out, J.J. Beret is playing, he's got some good game. Mark Knowles was teaching Dwight Powell, the six foot nine freak athlete for the Mavericks, how to serve because he was just pitty, patty caking it in, just tapping it in. So, Mark, really, I have a cool video. I'll, um, I'm sure it'll get posted tomorrow of him teaching Dwight how to serve, you know, how to go up there and just use his height and just snap the wrist at the top, make sure you toss it out in front. And it was cool. He, he, caught, he caught onto it really quick. So um,
1: if you don't, I want to ask some follow-up questions because there are a million that run to my brain. You mentioned the celebrities in attendance from the professional tennis player side, Tommy Haas, John Isner, Mark Knowles, but people like I know your hitting partner Steve Nash and J.J. Berea, Dwight Powell, Devin Harris, Luka Doncic, Dirk, all out there. I'm sure our fans are wondering, how does the professional basketball athlete translate onto the tennis court in general?
2: really not bad you know they have they have a good sense of like how to move towards the ball um, Luca especially he, you could tell he didn't really play that much but he just had a knack for for hitting the, the ball in the middle of the strings every time you know he really moved exceptionally well and he's so big too like the guy's only 20 years old he's already been EuroLeague MVP he's been rookie of the year for the NBA and he's 20 it's like this guy's accomplishments are insane. and you see he's just a kid He's just a, a kid, a happy-go-lucky kid, smiling, having fun, talking trash with his teammates. It's it's was crazy. <laughs>
1: and, and word on the streak is, uh, I mean, Dirk Nowitzki, obviously six eleven, seven feet tall. They say it's his serve. You know, he hits bombs. Is that true?
2: He's got a great serve, <laughs> but his 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 trick, his specialty. If you ever play him, or, or you know, have that opportunity to go against him second serve he's going to go slice out wide on the deuce side and really? he hits it really nasty yeah he had several second serve <laughs> slice out wide aces
1: oh i can only imagine what that's looking like well i got to ask your protégé steve nash versus dirk obviously former teammates close friends they get on the court at all and uh, yeah
2: you know, everyone how would you compare ev- their games everyone played everyone i mean dirk is just he his serve is great but in his forehand he hits it well but he just you know the movement i mean this guy to put as many miles as he put on his body at that height, and for playing as long as he did, I think you know, he played t- like something like twenty seasons. And you know, his it was interesting to see like his movement. It's just it's it's just not the same. But Nash was impre- impressed. everyone there, especially the MCs. <laughs> they had these you know Dallas local uh, radio talk show hosts as the MCs. They did a great job, and they were really impressed with with Steve Nash. and I, I knew he was going to crush it because we've been hitting some, and he's been he's been he's been getting getting pretty nice. And Dirk, uh, before the event, you know, talked about him having tennis fever. And he crushed it. He got he got second place. He runner-up run to Tommy Haas and a, a lady on Tommy's team who played college at North Texas. She was quite good as well. That was a tough matchup. Yeah,
1: they brought in the ringer. Good, smart thinking, Tommy Haas.
2: Dude, Tommy Haas, like, when he switches to the continental grip and like, sticks a volley or a slice, it's one of the cooler things you'll ever see. <laughs> On a tennis court, just the the, the crispness and the stick that he gets on his, vo- especially his backhand volley and his backhand slice, <laughs> not I mean not too many people could could hit it that well ever. You know, maybe only five or six. It was just insane.
1: Uh, I can only imagine. Well, then how about this? The top three highlights for you on the court that you saw.
2: Uh, one of the highlights was a funny story about about uh Dirk and Luca. So Luca wanted <laughs> to play. And Dirk tried to try him out, you know, have him come over at his house and do a tryout and Luca couldn't make it, but he did that because it was called the Harrison Barnes provision and Harrison Barnes wanted to play, and apparently he told Dirk that he could play and he was was not bad at tennis, so Dirk let him play, and apparently he was so bad that Dirk said that not even Harrison had a good time. <laughs> And so it, it was bad. Mitchell Kruger was there. He was telling me it was it was rough. You know, not 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 even coming close to winning one of the tiebreaks. The format was round robin, ten point tiebreakers. Um, another one of the highlights was was Dwight Powell hit an overhead. He actually missed the overhead, but he was able to break down and jump up like as high as he could to hit it. I mean, this guy was was five feet in the air. It was I've never seen a player jump that high on a tennis court. Not in my life. Not even Malfi. It was it was ridiculous.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's, I mean, so I guess the the question uh, and the, the way we can end this, to see tennis in the center of this, you have athletes, celebrities, you know, all these donors coming together, I, it feels like it, it must have really been a shining moment for our sport.
2: Yeah, it, it was. I mean, the crowds were, were packed. When we got dropped off, there were people waiting outside to see Dirk. There were you know, 30, 40 people lined up trying to get Dirk's autograph before he came, even came in. And it was it was just such a it was really hot and by the end of it everyone was dead. Um, <laughs> the one of the highlights was so Steve was was Steve Nash was done. He wanted to be done. It was the last round, but he actually scored enough points to make it to the qualifying. And he just wanted to eat. And have a beer. And I was there. I told him, I said, Steve, they're packing up the beers right now. And he goes, What? And he got up and he went and, and uh, secured a case and brought it to the locker room for all the, for all the guys after. So it was a good guy move. It was really funny right there. He was like, No, 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 no. They're not taking the beer. <laughs> that was definitely a highlight.
1: Oh, that's awesome. How'd our boy Bob do?
2: He did, he did great. Uh, I think he won four, lost six. He held up quite nicely. I mean, there were guys playing in it that were really good. I don't know if you, know, you don't know them, but they're the Martin brothers. They're actually from Tulsa, Oklahoma. When I grew up playing in Tulsa, they were like the top guys. One of them played at Illinois with Amir Delic on that team. The other one played at Stanford. So obviously legit tennis players. And they're from Tulsa as I ran into them. And I was like, oh, I've never really met them, but I always knew who they were. And they're playing in this. And, you know, so that guy's playing with Tommy Haas they play her out like they can you know try and hit the ball soft but they're still going to win almost every point unless they're missing it on purpose and another thing another interesting thing was that in an event like this you really don't want to play with John Isner because <laughs> he's such a nice guy that he's never going to you know he's just he's out there hitting the ball back to the opponent he's not going for anything crazy he's just such a nice guy making sure how everyone's having a blast and that was pretty funny to see
1: you're telling You, know, me- you
2: would think he would win because he's obviously the best player playing, but he was. He definitely. Winning was not on his list of priorities. He was just making sure everyone had a blast.
1: You're telling me at no point he wasn't like, all right, I got to ace Dirk once. Got to put that on the mantle.
2: You know, he might have let some uncork versus Tommy or Mark <laughs> Knowles. Uh, I didn't really see it, but no, I, I was trying to get him to, to crack one just so Haral Bob could see it, you know? Because <laughs> I think that's worth it, yeah. just having an Isner crank a 130. You know, bounces over your head and off the court, but no, he he was he wasn't gonna do that.
1: Yeah, J-J-J
2: JJ Bray has got some game too. He's obviously moves well. Uh, he just kills me because he beat the Thunder in that playoff series versus the Mavericks. <laughs> that was, he was so crucial in that championship run. It was, but it was nice to nice to see him play. You know that the tennis is to speak to that your point earlier is sort of like making the these players love it. You know. NBA Hall of Famers and NBA stars are all coming out, and they and they love it. They play. You know, a lot of celebrities play, too. It's I think in certain aspects, the game is in really good hands, and we can move on and talk about, you know, some other stuff. But I think it's some positive vibes coming from the sport for sure, even though there's been a little bit of turmoil.
1: Absolutely. The coolest part, it's benefiting of, you know, the foundation, the work that the Dirk Nowitzki Foundation does. It's all for such good causes, Uh And yeah, just to see the sport, I I imagine basketball players because of that individual aspect of, I got to go score the bucket. I, you know, I got to be in the defensive position because you're so active out there. Uh, It translates well to tennis. Uh, You talked about the movement as well. So you can see how a competitor like a Steve Nash or Dirk Nowitzki could see the appeal of the individual aspect of tennis now that they're done with their team sport. And yeah, I, the, the, the real final thought is I am just insanely jealous.
2: No, the last thing I'll say is that, is that the reason that they're playing it is because they, they can with their body. They can't play basketball anymore you know, the way they want to, the way they're used to playing. This is a new challenge for them and something that their body will hold up doing because um, you know, they're not traveling around the world playing every day. Tennis is difficult to keep your body in good shape, but, but when you're doing it like they are for fun um, and getting better at the same time, I think that's, you know, they're able to do it because they talked about their bodies breaking down, playing basketball, and tennis sort of gives them another chance to learn a new sport and, you know, develop new skills.
1: Yeah, and look, you're part of the Tennis Channel team. I'm now part, you know, we're part of the Tennis Channel podcast network. Let's try and get the streaming rights to this next year. I'm 100% sure people would watch this charity, especially if it's only a 10-point tie break and you're not subjected to three hours of, let's be honest, not the best tennis, but these nice little 15-minute snippets of Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, as it sounds like Dwight Powell jumping over the net for an overhead. Like, I'd watch the sh out of that.
2: That's a good That's a good point. Maybe Maybe I'll see what I can do in that regard.
1: Yeah that that's... that would be
2: fun to have you know to have it on footage you know have the evidence
1: Yeah that screams a Herelba Vulgaris idea um so we'll uh <laughs> <laughs> was there's a ton of other tennis to talk about what we are going to do from here on in because there are so many other matches to discuss. Uh, We're going to do a little around the world segment, right? We're not going to, I don't want to spend too long on each event because we could get this pod to an hour, but I want to go four minutes on every topic uh, or we're going to try and hit every tournament. So again, three WTA tournaments, two ATP tournaments, and then the challenger in Columbus. I'll ask you for just, you know, your take on the tournament, the players you're watching in the draw and we'll go, you know, maybe make some predictions along the way. Sound good.
2: Sounds good to me. I'm going to let you take the reins on this one, because like I said, I saw how much stuff there was going on, and I had a little mini panic attack.
1: <laughs> I like it. Well, then, with that in There's mind. There's
2: so many matches, dude. This is going to go four hours. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, we're not going to talk about individual matches, more just big pictures the players we're going to be watching in each event. But with that being said, Westoff, start the clock, please. All right, let's start in Columbus because you know I'm a nerd for the challenger level. Listeners know that's my go-to level. Uh, You look at this draw this week and honestly, again, stacked with players who we've either talked to, you know, some of them on our Cracked Interviews podcast, a lot of them from the college tennis community, or young American players trying to work their way up. You look at the seeds in this event. Number one seed, Emilio Gomez, former USC player. Two seed, Mikhail Torpegard, obviously for the All-American. I think he made the final in Columbus Challenger in January he knows those indoor ohio state courts so well but just you look through the draw the three seed michael moe finalist last week the number four seed this week peter polanski but you've got the quiet the Cressies, the roy smiths the Kiro's, the michael redlichy's uh jj wolfs i guess my question to you at this point of the year what do you want to see from these guys on the challenger level what what are you looking for as you watch these matches
2: I'm looking for someone to win them consistently, sort of like a Yannick Sinner did. I think um, watching his rise was so cool to see. And then, you know, he comes out, gets into the U.S. Open on the big stage, and he just takes it to stand. They played a fantastic match. Um, That's what I think I'm looking for, you know, seeing guys that stand out above the rest that, you know, have a real potential to crack the top of the sport. You because know, it's they start out here. They, you know most of them are playing here at some point in time. Yeah, so thingy- looking for the people who just show flashes of yeah. you know consistency, but also the, the the level like a Sinner showed, where he's just you know he can't miss if he tried, just in the zone.
1: No, the things you look for, we saw at the end of last season Riley Opelka go on a run in Champaign, in Charlottesville, and I think he didn't play that well in Knoxville, but maybe it was Tallahassee as well, where he, uh, you know, earned himself a, his spot in the top 100 to end the season, played great indoor tennis at the challenger level, you know, positioned himself really well to get into that New York Open early in the year and capture his first ATP title. He now sits in the top 50, so yeah, you look for the young players who maybe it's a, by virtue of they were injured, right? You look at a guy like Tommy Paul, uh, wins New Haven, makes the quarterfinals last week uh, in carry. That's the sort of jump we all knew. If he was healthy, he was a top 100 level player. Well, now he's put together enough consecutive weeks that he's solidly in that top 100. And it's, can he build on that? He hopefully solidify his spot himself in Australian Open guaranteed entrance. But you just look at particular names in this. One guy I'm really going to be circling, J.J. Wolf, who obviously had a dream season at Ohio State, right up until the end where his team lost in the quarterfinals of NCAAs. He didn't end up winning the NCAA singles championship. I think he lost quarterfinals, but still, uh, I think he lost once during the regular season to Michigan's own Andrew Fenty. Sorry, had to throw the shot in there. Uh, But a guy like him who's making his transition now to the full-time pro tour, what what does he got? What what, what are, what's different? You know, what, how is he going to start his career? Because indoor on these courts should play great for him, and so it's guys like that, a Roy Smith in a similar scenario. He leaves college early. He now does, you, you think does indoors? He still, does JJ still have the mullet? Yeah, uh, I think he shaved it immediately. He didn't have it at Cincy, so unless I, he could have grown it back, but I imagine it's gone.
2: Okay, um, I'm looking at the, the the draw right now. I can't. Does he play on? Is he going to play on Wednesday?
1: Uh, I think so. Yeah. So I think Celig Hidalgo is tomorrow, and so he won or today, I should say Tuesday, and so he uh, would. I think he's a Wednesday start.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously you know he's probably going to play well on his home courts. So he has an advantage. I played. I'm sure they're different, but I played a tournament ten years ago in Columbus at the <laughs> Ohio State courts, and no, it was so weird. The indoor court was like it didn't bounce really high. It was sort of like had a like a foamy layer underneath, and it was sort of soft sort of almost like plexi-pave, like indoor courts. It was really weird. Um, I did not like playing on them. It was just totally different. I'm sure they're, you know, nice and normal now. But, um, yeah, playing indoors anytime, you know, you have experience playing indoors, it's going to help, you mm-hmm. know, especially J.J. Wolf. He's got good hands at the net. He, You know, he hits a clean ball. He moves really well. It'll be interesting to see, and he'll have a crowd cheering him on for sure. He'll have a, the quote-unquote the boys
1: <laughs> yeah, and, you know, uh, so many Ohio State players actually got their start today. Freshman Justin Boulez beat Jordi Arcanada of uh, the Canyon Kingsley, who I think was a finalist in Kalamazoo, made a run at the U.S. Open Juniors as well. He was a winner today. James Trotter was a winner today. So, you get, you know, for us college tennis slappies, you get a sneak preview at the Ohio State lineup. Robbie Cash played today. I think he lost, but I mentioned C- uh, Kyle Selig was in there. Oh, John McNally, a loser today, but again, another guy. So, for those gearing up for the college... Season, this is your first sneak peek, but alright, we're over the four minutes real quick. Indoors, you gotta like big servers. I watched Max Cressy serve his way to that Cleveland Indoor Challenger title earlier in the year. Real quick, I know there's a ton of tennis to play. Give me your prediction for a winner this week in Columbus. Um, you know, that that what's his last name? How do you pronounce it?
2: Cool, Cuocod? Uh, the guy from France?
1: I'm, you're. I'm not sure, but Enzo?
2: Yeah, he looked pretty nice in in, in carry. I I liked watching him, actually. I was sort of impressed. But I think I'm going to go with Cressy just because, you know, the indoors, such a nice advantage for him. You know, UCLA doesn't have any indoor tennis, but his game is certainly well-suited.
1: I see it. I love Torp, who I think made two finals, the Ohio Challenger run indoors in uh, Columbus and in Cleveland to start the year. I like him on the bottom half. I think in the semis, he's going to match up with Ty Kwiatkowski, who I think is going to win this tournament indoors against that serve plus everything else Ty can do. I mean, there's a reason Virginia had so much success over the years because they're they're just a freaking beast inside because Ty's hitting 145 mile per hour bombs at you. And you're just like, oh, no, what am I going to do? So he's my dark horse. I'm going to take Ty Kwiatkowski to win this week.
2: I like that pick. He does crack the ball. You know, he's got that one gear where it's just rip and let it it fly. And if he's in the zone, he'll be good. But, yeah, I think we're over the time limit on this one. Yeah, exactly.
1: So with that in mind, let's move on to our next tournament. We're going to go to St. Petersburg now where we have ourselves a stack draw to look through the seeds. Number one seed, U.S. Open finalist, Cincinnati Masters champion, Daniil Medvedev who, as I said yesterday, must have been paid seven bazillion rubles to play this event. I cannot believe he is back in the draw so soon. He's the number one seed U.S. Open semifinalist Matteo Berrettini, the three seed, the number four seed Borna Chorich, coming off of injury, has a ton of points to defend down the home stretch. And newly minted father, 23-year-old Karen Kaschnoff-Westhoff, give me some sort of congratulations sound effect to him, the number two seed this week. Uh, What are you looking for at this tournament, Kale?
2: I'm looking to see if Medvedev can somehow put a, you know, have a run and actually do well at this tournament. Because if he does, like I, how, how are you going to get up for this match these matches after playing Nadal in the finals of the US Open a week ago? I would be appalled if he won this tournament. <laughs> Even though he's the, you know, he's the guy to beat, I would be shocked if he won this tournament. I, I just don't see how you play your first experience that, then you come back and play this against people who are gunning for you. Now you have that big target on your back. Now people know they play you it's going to be one of the tougher matches they'll ever play i think if he wins this tournament that would be insane
1: yeah i, I could not echo that point more uh number five seed andre rublev would be his quarterfinal rublev playing so well also and it feels like a guy who now that he's back inside the top 50 he he's gonna go for it at the end of the season he was injured all year long so he does not have that much wear and tear on his body the last time i saw Daniil medvedev play he was like 50 percent tape and so, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's going to be really interesting to see uh, how Medvedev responds to the pressure of being the number one seed, being a top five guy now in the world. I mean, for me, I mentioned number four seed Borna Choric. I want to see what he's got, you know, how healthy is he at this point? Because if he's healthy to play him, you know, on the hard courts over this home stretch, given how fresh he should be relative to the few matches he's played— that could be a nightmare. So if it's a healthy Borna George, it would not shock me at all to see him make a push back towards the top ten as we end the season.
2: Yeah, it's tough without the match experience you know, to see how he's going to do. Um, I feel like if you're playing Borna, though, you would rather play him indoors You know, because than, than, he's so much fitter than everyone else.
1: Really? So you think and, indoors you'd have an advantage?
2: Yeah, just his fitness level is usually always better than his opponent's. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the conditions are perfect, fatigue really shouldn't. Two out of three set matches indoors, fatigue really shouldn't be that much of an issue. Assuming there's a good air conditioning system, unlike the U.S. Open that cost (laughs) us Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal for the first time in the U.S. Open final. They have For some reason, they needed to be a sauna slash steam room in there. They had the roof closed, and they can't circulate the air well enough. I mean, Federer never, ever sweats. There's a reason he never sweats. And he's completely soaked and drenched. And do you think it's a surprise that he does loses to Milman in that fashion, and loses to Grigor in the exact same fashion? Grigor played better than Milman. I don't care. Federer was done. He was roasted. The look on his face. He's like, what the, what is going on right now? And I just didn't. I thought a lot of it had to do with the conditions. No. He's drenched in sweat. He never, ever, ever. Look up all the tournaments. This is like the only one where he's completely like, soaked and drenched in sweat. Even at the Australian Open, you know, the guy hardly sweats. The guy goes to Ab- freaking.
1: Yeah, he goes to Abu Dhabi, wins it six years in a row, hasn't dropped a single blade in that country of sweat.
2: No, it's and, and that's why I just don't, uh, there's, there's something, it's like you're playing in the Louisiana Swamp <laughs> yeah.
1: at the U.S. Open, I don't understand. Alright,
2: that was just a bit of a tangent, I'm sorry, no, no. let's get us back on track. Dale,
1: that's why you're our tennis insider, those sort of insights, Federer doesn't sweat, breaking news here. Um, no, but so, alright, down the home stretch, real quick, two other guys, we got the Rublev Berrettini U.S. Open match, two guys, Matteo Berrettini, to play him indoors, I'd be like, alright, so we're playing seven, six sets today, like that's my best case scenario, yeah. sounds good.
2: K- Kachanov's going to win this tournament. Ooh. That's well, look, just look at the draw. I mean, the top half is a joke. I mean, Rublev or Berrettini could obviously win it, but just statistically, one of them's going to have to play each other, and Kashnov's not going to have to play anyone, anyone, especially indoors, as good as he is. I mean, Kasper Ruud's the seed in his draw, playing him indoors, not on the clay. Kashnov kills him. Kakushkin indoors is good, but Kachanov is you know, the firepower is just too much.
1: That's fair. I yeah, the top half definitely loaded. We saw Yannick Sinman the sinner go down today to Mikhail Kukushkin six three seven six. The name to watch out for, you said Rood's the seat, but he's got a first round matchup with Alexander Sasha Bublik. That serve indoors, again you're like, uh oh, I'm playing a seven six set.
2: Yeah, I haven't looked at the odds on that, but I would I would I would absolutely take Bublik mm, in that
1: one. you have been spending time with Her Bob. Alright, with that in mind, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to our next tournament real quick. Uh, We are in France now for the Moselle Open. You look at the seeds here. David Goffin, the number one seed, number three seed, Benoit Paire. Number four seed, Luca Puy, fresh off of what looked like one of the most fun weddings of 2019. To be in a dance circle with Puy, Monfils, and uh, Goffin. Is it bad that I'd be like, "That's, that's a dream scenario for me?
2: That would be – I would pay a lot of money to see you in a dance circle with them. That's for sure.
1: I've been to a bar mitzvah, They'd be too.
2: looking at you I... like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> I think he'd crush it. That'd be great. Yeah,
1: that'd be a good time. But tennis-wise, what are you looking for in this event?
2: Cool. let's see. Moselle, indoor hardcourt. Um, you know, Krajinovic, he had a good win today. I think he's always really dangerous in tournaments like these. It's, he's an interesting player because I remember seeing him play when he was 14 years old and this guy was probably the best 14 year old in the world <laughs> at the time and just the way he hit the ball I mean this guy's been a professional tennis player since he was 12 years old mm-hmm. so he has the talent um, it'll be interesting to see if he can make a flash he's got a decent looking draw um, other than that the two seed billy he got so hot last year in the indoor hard courts and he's just slapping every ball as hard as he could and he got in the zone and it was really fun to watch him play I mean at, there was a there was a two month stretch where no one was hitting the ball harder than Vili on tour, and I'm a sucker for pace. I would love it when like Del that's why Del Poe is my favorite player just because I think he can hit the forehand harder than it's ever been hit, and I find that pretty cool. And Bash can can just crack it so hard off both sides. Yeah.
1: If you like hard-hitting tennis, my guy to watch this draw, and we talked about him on Sunday's Great Shot podcast, which I think is coming out Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that. Most intriguing guys to watch down the home stretch. Jan-Leonard Struff. I mean, 6'3", 215 pounds. It's, you know, a, a, I would say it's berrettini light in terms of the performance you're going to get, but indoors, good luck against that. I mean, you look at his draw, he's got Air Bear in the first round. That's a tricky one, and then he'd get the winner of Andujar Sanga. So I'm not saying it would be easy for him, but I, if you're talking indoor hard ten, hardcore tennis, you're talking about a guy who this year, you know he's never won an ATP tournament, but on the year, he's 29 and 21, has really made strides, particularly at the majors, uh, the fourth round at the French Open. There's no reason why he couldn't do well at this event.
2: No, he, he, he turned it on for sure. He sort of flipped a switch in his career. He was sort of at one level for so long. And then this season, he really took a big, big step forward. Um, and he's, how old is he? 28? So it's cool to see him.
1: Yeah, 28, 29, something like that. It's like the Vili push that he made last year.
2: Yeah, and so that's always, he's 20, stroof is 29 years old, and that's always cool to see players, um, and like Kevin Anderson did too. Mm-hmm. He did it at, at a higher level, but... Them, when you see someone, it's like it's like Pokemon, you know, you level up, <laughs> and I think Struuf definitely leveled up.
1: Yeah, you're like three hitting sessions away with Steve Nash from leveling up, Kale. You'll be there. Come age twenty-eight, twenty-nine, you're ready to make the jump.
2: No, I pulled my back playing the other day. I gotta I gotta watch myself. <laughs> You're washed. I gotta take care of myself. I'm
1: washed. <laughs> That's funny. Well some other non seeded players to watch. Lorenzo Sonego, who hits the ball as well as hard as anyone. Antoine Huang, the young Frenchman, a winner today, two and three wild card. i got to watch him play it since he another guy just feels like all of these young guys can hit the cover off of the ball Hubie her catch uh, final in Winston Salem I think he actually won the event we were off his scent after he lost at the US Open but there's another young guy who's been as good as anyone at 6-6 what there. do you
2: think about him what do you think about his game I love I,
1: well I love me Hugh I, I mean it's so nice it's 6-6 six, six, people say it's 6-6 six, six, Murray and that feels like a stretch but to move a, the way around the court he does that's who said size. that who
2: said that that's you ridiculous see, yeah, look, that's I, ridiculous I, <laughs> who's said that.
1: I don't want to give shout outs, but there are people on ten I'm I don't want I don't want to be wrong, but I'm like ninety nine point nine percent sure I saw that from Courtney Wynne of the WTA uh, press office who's an incredible journalist, incredible reporter, but I oh, think she's awesome. Yeah, it's the but, ba- she but, says but the backhand. Her catch
2: is, isn't Andy Murray, what w- the hell Well it's the backhand Yeah, hands. I agree his backhand is yeah, his backhand is much better than his forehand. <laughs> I I think that's the case with Andy Murray as well. But well, this guy doesn't have the court sense or the feel that Andy Murray has. What are we talking well, about? Well,
1: it's tough to say. I mean, he
2: can bomb his serve for sure, but no, 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 no.
1: He's 23-19 and 19 on the year, has the title, has had a couple of good runs uh, throughout the season.
2: He's, he's awesome. Why are we comparing him to Andy Murray?
1: Yeah, that's true. Look, people get excited. That's what we do. That's half the fun of tennis.
2: Okay. I haven't seen that level of, you know, that top five level out of her catch but yeah, but fair. but who knows. Alright
1: give me your winner for the week here.
2: Okay, let me give me a second. It's not in Bachelorette Philly. Hmm. Hmm It's in France. Benoit Benoit could Benoit could win this tournament.
1: Oh no way. Indoor Hard court Dude, Benoit, and Benoit, Benoit could win this tournament. Mm. That
2: four I know the forehand breaks down but look the guy you know if the guy is focused in playing in France, he's comfortable no, he could he could win this tournament. I I, I have no idea.
1: Yeah, Herkats
2: could win this tournament too.
1: No, it's it's going to be a really fun event to monitor. I agree. who's your
2: pick? Who's your pick? Uh, I, I You got go away first.
1: With copping out. Um, do I want to take gofan I mean, this who is in dumb, this draw? Cause we're just both going to be wrong. My thing is who in this draw has showed a higher level than David gofan and I imagine the hangover yesterday from the. Uh, Wedding was not nice for him. He looked like he enjoyed himself. And if you saw the Laver Cup party last year, uh, you know Davico fans, a guy who knows how to enjoy himself. But just on a hard court indoors, I don't know if anyone in this tournament's played at a higher level than him. And we're forgetting, he was a semifinalist uh, in Cincy. Yeah, he got blown out by Federer at the U.S. Open, but he held seed at that event. I'm going to stick with the one seed here.
2: Yeah, I played a higher level this year in this tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Yeah, so we'll I would with agree the with that. Yeah. It'd be
2: interesting to see if Sanga can do something. Oh, I would love
1: it indoors. I think, mm. I
2: think, I think I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Sanga It's it's about time. He you know he's been healthy for long enough. That I think. If he's he just needs to serve well and and he'll be fine. He's I think Bastos Vili. He's a better player than, still, Struif. I think he gets through that one. I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Sanga.
1: Yeah, I like that pick. But with that being said, three more events to try and get through quickly. Let's hop over to the WTA side. Um, the place where I want to start in Guangzhou uh, for the Guangzhou Open, number one seed, Alina Svitolina. The number three seed here, Sophia Kennan. The number four seed here is Shui Zhang. The number two seed, Chung Wang. Uh, what are you looking at this week? And uh, here, Kale.
2: You're just going to tee this tournament up and then and then give me the reins? That's the unfair to you. All right, that's fair. <laughs>
1: then let me tell you what I'm looking for. What do you,
2: what are, what do you think? Don't yeah, do that well, to look,
1: me. Well, look, <laughs> that's <laughs> funny. Uh, the Asian Swing fully underway on the women's side. You look at where all the events are. We've got the Korean Open as well, Osaka Open as well. So you know the, they're all getting acclimated to that part of the hard court swing. I mean, the big storylines for number one seed Alina Svitolina Obviously, the U.S. Open semifinal, the match against Serena, did not end the way she wanted. Serena looked so dominant in that performance. But Svitolina has been so good since Wimbledon. I think she is one of, you know, you talk about players who uh, you look to contend for these year-end events, who you look at who could win WTA finals this year. She's someone I have circled. Who's been more, I mean, other than Beyond. She has been
2: awesome here. this year. Svitolina has been fantastic. So consistent and so good all year she played Venus in that in that Wimbledon match and she was just Venus on grass is still super dangerous you know Svitolina just won four and fours hey i'm the better player you know there's a big match tight match i'm just going to take it in straights, no problem yeah she's been amazing and just for on, sure.
1: on a hard court it translates to... So she's just such a tough out you you bring her pace she's athletic enough to track everything down and redirect that pace right back at you you want to play junk ball with her all right good luck out grinding Alina Fidolina. it's just it feels like hard courts for her. Really, it should be and is her best surface. And that's why it, it'll be exciting to see. She Look, the semi, two back-to-back Grand Slam semifinals. People forget she's only 24 years old. So there still really could be four years of her best tennis ahead of her in terms of physical you know, prime and just oh, the mental catching up with the physical. Uh, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really fun to monitor her. The, another player yeah. I have circled, though, Sophia Kennan, the number three seed, who the way the U.S. Open ended for her after such a great hard court summer, to lose to Madison Keys in the way she did, it just really felt like she saw felt no rhythm on the court in that match. I want to see how she bounces back because it's, you know, the first time in her career she's going to be seeded now at the majority of events she plays.
2: Yeah, that's two two players who, I was going to bring it up about Svitolina, but then you brought up Kennan, and they're just two players who, when they're on the court, you get the sense that they really, really want it, you know, more than the opponent, okay. almost every time. You know, win or lose, they—they they, you rarely see, you know, lapses in effort um, from these players, or lapses in belief in themselves. So they they really, they have that quality, which I think is pretty similar, and they both have been fantastic all year. The U.S. Open Keys thing, you know, it's just, Keys has so much more experience especially at that tournament. So I think she was able to play a little looser and a little more free and if you're playing two people at that level and one person feels confident and the other one is a tiny bit tight, that's what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, that'll do it. I, I agree with you. But for me for Kenan it's how again, how does she bounce back because she has so many different weapons she can hurt you with she is such a you know such a clever player and it's going to be just interesting to see if she starts thinking too much on the court does that affect her play it really did seem like she was stuck in her own head and you're right to play madison keys who's you know three years your peer you've been watching her succeed uh i don't you know i'm not trying to prescribe beliefs on sophia kennan but you hope to emulate that sort of success early in your career that keys has had that's a big stage and a big moment but still I think Sophie, there's no reason Sophia Kennan can't end the year in the top 20 uh, because she's been one of the 20 best players, in my opinion, on the WTA Tour this year.
2: Yeah, she's been awesome, and, and she wants it. She really wants it, sort of like Andreescu. You can just tell when they're on the court. They just really want it. Don't want. They want the win. It seems like their intensity level seems a little bit higher than their opponent usually.
1: Yeah, and the other player I want to mention real quick, and then I'll get a pick from you. But uh, Cheng Wang, who obviously beats Ashley Barty in the fourth round of the U.S. Open, then loses one and zero to Serena in the quarterfinals. Uh, it's really hard to lose a professional match 1-0. I say that lovingly. It just speaks to the fact Serena was all over her. Be she, careful. Yeah, no, she just wasn't there. She just <laughs> wasn't there in the quarterfinals. It happens to all of no, us. No,
2: it was a no-show. It yeah. totally happens. It's tennis.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so for her to come back now, you know, she's in her home country. She's the number two seed here. That's pressure, but... I'm sure she was itching to get back on the court, so it would not shock me to see her respond strongly here. Let me get a pick from you. Who you got?
2: Hmm. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. How did you say it again? You said Wang Chuang. Yes. Okay, that sounds like I'm saying it wrong, but no, I'm, I'm gonna sure. pick. I'm gonna pick her. I think you know that, that. she she was dealing with a lot of emotions when she lost to Serena. You know her coach her lifelong, or like not lifelong coach, but her, her sort of lifelong coach mm-hmm. um, died recently. Mm-hmm. And so she had that emotion that ESPN did, that great feature. And I think maybe she'll, you know, bounce back from that, you know, learning experience against Serena and she'll play with some more confidence.
1: I love that pick. I agree. There's nothing more frustrating than a loss like that. So, you know, she's going to come out firing. But after the passionate take, we get we gave uh, a little Alina I uh, Like, I can't not pick her. I'm like so in on this pick. I'm so yeah, in that's on a her. Yeah,
2: that's a safe pick. But that Kennan, I think she's probably going to meet Kennan. It looks like that um, be, in the semifinals, that's going to be a good match.
0: That
1: That's all I'm hoping for. Can't I'm wait to pick. watch
2: that one on tape delay. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Hey, we'll probably talk about it on the mini-break at some point. So I will stick with Alina Svitolina. But with that being said, again, two more events to go down the home stretch. Let's move now to Osaka, where we have the Toray Pan Pacific Open. Number one seed, Naomi Osaka, making her return from uh, after the U.S. Open. Number three seed here, Sloane Stephens, just fighting to find some sort of rhythm as she ends the season. The number four seed, Angelique Kerber. You, you could argue her season has been similar, to Sloan Stevens but given how much we've seen from Angelique Kerber and I think you look at this isn't my joke but it's like I think last year she won a major and it happened two years before that as well she goes I win a major I have a bad season in 2017 I win a major 2018 I have a bad season in 2019 so we'll see if she can rebound and find her form the number two seed here Kiki Bertens obviously looking to um, rack up some points as the season comes to an end but my dark horse pick for this event Number 7 seed, Donna Vekic, who to me was one of the superstars of the U.S. Open. Mm-mm. No?
2: I don't know. I mean, it's. I definitely think she's going to beat Caroline Garcia. I mean, who doesn't beat Caroline Garcia? I just, seems like she, she loses every match.
1: <laughs> I just love Donna Vekic's game. You forget the 23—you know, she is another player, only 23 years old. Um, but just so explosive, like you see. Uh, again, to play her on a hardcourt in, uh, like in the you know the way the Asian hardcourts play, I just feel like her game tailor made for this.
2: Yeah, she you know pinpoint accuracy, cracking the ball you know takes it early. Uh, I I think so. She you know she's gonna have to get through Garcia. I mean that's not an easy draw indoor hardcourt. That's definitely Garcia's best surface.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, no, this turn this tournament is outdoors. I'm mistaken.
1: It is. Yeah, it's outdoors.
2: Yeah, I believe it's outdoors. You yeah, should um, I, I check so. on that for me. Yeah, I think it's outdoors. It's caught up with the indoors and the uh, yeah. the men's, but but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see Gibbs play Kerber. You know, Gibbs had a great win over Alley Risk, and Kerber has had a pretty subpar season. And Gibbs pushed Halop at the U.S. Open. That was an interesting match. So. I think I think it's gonna be I think that could be interesting just for, for her. She seems Nicole, to have her swagger back.
1: Yeah, for her, I think she was on a feeding tube like a month ago, a month and a half ago, and now she's getting wins. You know, at this level of event, she puts herself in a position now to play Angelique Kerber. That's the sort of moment you live for on a comeback trail. So yeah, she comes through qualifying to and then beats Ali Risk as you mentioned four and three. That's gonna be a really fun another one. I'm sure we'll both catch on tape delay. Uh, but with that being said, your prediction for this tournament
2: hmm let's i'm let's just go with uh naomi osaka <laughs> so just so much firepower man you know
1: no she's a beast i mean do you know garbine muguruza is unseated in this event and her first round match is suwezi
2: yeah this was our tc plus match of the day go uh, check that out it was a little article i wrote previewing this match and yeah so garbine muguruza hasn't won a first round match since the french open did you that's, know that
1: that's crazy
2: she hasn't won a first round since the French Open, and Shea is going for her fifth win over a Grand Slam winner this year. <laughs> she's beaten four previous Grand Slam winners already this year in singles, so she's looking to make it five with Muguruza, and I think she's going to do it. Muguruza is a slight favorite, but I think Shea is going to frustrate her. You know, if you're playing someone like Shay and you don't have confidence, that's a nightmare.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. By the way, listen to these top eight seeds. This is unbelievable. Osaka, the number one seed. Petra Martic, the number eight seed. Sloane Stephens, the number three seed. Uh, Madison Keyes, the number five seed. Angelique Kerber, the four. Vekic, the seven. Kiki Bertens, uh, the two. And then I think the six seed withdrew, so the number nine seed in this event. Um, Elise Mertens. I mean, this draw is stacked.
2: Yeah, it's nice. Um, we really need to figure out how the appearance fees work. Yeah. D do, do you know that? I, I think that would be a fascinating study. I'm sorry to go off topic here, but I mean you know, this is a big event, so they're obviously playing it, but it's just interesting to see. I really want to know like how certain tournaments get certain players and I think I think that'd be a really interesting case study. Sorry to go off topic there. No, I
1: it's literally the question I ask. Is like I just want to know. Just tell me like what's uh, exactly. the negotiating process. Like, I just want to know how it months.
2: works for yeah for, for all the different tournaments because you know it's going on probably all you know all the time.
1: No, it's it's unbelievable. And so yeah, I like I cannot agree more. I am hoping we end up. I, I feel like there's a way for us to find out. We're 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 in this business enough. We can uh we can ask around. Yeah, who should we ask? What, someone who's someone who's you, you been, been and, there. Yeah, you ask Steve Nash, "Hey, what was your appearance fee for Dirk?" and we start there, and the trail goes from there.
2: <laughs> I I bet that was a $0 appearance <laughs> fee cuz it's a freaking charity event and they played great friends and they played, you know, played together on the Mavs.
1: Yeah, no, no, I I don't deny that. You're definitely And he ready.
2: definitely it's a, definitely a net L after Nash's donation to the the charity foundation. <laughs> so Better luck next time.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Well, then, with that being said, one more event to go to real quick. The event in Seoul. Uh, we'll do this one quickly. The Korea Open. The number one seed, Maria Sakari, I believe, dropped out of this event. So you look at the seeds left. The number eight seed, Yafan Wang. Uh, the number three seed, Carolina Carolina Mukova. Alia Tamjanovic, the five seed. Gasparian, the seven. Lynette, the four. The number two seed, uh, Alexandrova. I mean, on an and O winner in her first round. That's crazy. It'd be nice to see her roll from there. She's
2: oh, good, man. man. She's, She's just so really good. good. When yeah. you, I watched her play recently when she was making, you know, when she cracked, was on the process of cracking the top 100, and she was just playing much better tennis than everyone else, moving at a higher level, ball striking at a higher level. She was just really good. And she was, you know, a prodigy growing up, you know, for the most part. It's, it's good to see her... At this stage, you know, it's a late bloomer. It gives me hope for sure. Yeah. Not I mean, for tennis, but you know, <laughs> just all other aspects of life, you know. No, you know, sad. have that success later on, you know, your second sort of go around.
1: That's half the fun of tennis, is that we get to see, as you mentioned, on the men's side with Struff here, with Christian. It's just it's literally are you playing your best right now? Because if you are, you're gonna earn, you know, you're gonna get yourself some wins regardless of your regardless of your circumstance. That's why tennis is such a great sport, but we, we went a little long on our other predictions, so started to stiff you Korea open, but just right now, give me a pick.
2: Ooh. This one is tough. I have no idea this I'm is looking the at it right point. now. There's no I mean out. my goodness. Muchova is interesting. She's played some good tennis.
1: Yeah, Carolina Mukova coming off of injury. Mukova. Um, she uh yeah, it's that's gonna be my pick. Now I can't pick that. Um God Okay, good ha. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> you beat <me> to it. <laughs> I'm gonna take Lynette. Give me the four seed here, Magda Lynette, who a one in four winner today. Uh again, this draw if Christian wins this, like would it shock me? No. Why are kidding. we
2: not picking, you know, give cristiana a shot after her, you know, amazing run at the US Open and then she comes back and beats Tomei Baczynski. I'm going to change my pick. I'm going to pick Cristiano win.
1: All right, I Alright, that's called the bait and switch. I'll take Mukova. Totally cool. <laughs> yeah.
2: Alright, you got me.
1: Yeah, but alright, with that being said, one last thing I want to do, Kale, one of the things I'm, we're trying to work in a little bit every day is a little bit of Labor Cup coverage because it is one of the most fun team events of the year. Now, of course, there are ways they can improve it. We're not saying there aren't flaws. I feel like People get so mad nowadays when you try and compliment Laver Cup. But that being said, Cale, there has been some very fun social media spice. And I know you, you as our social media czar, we saw Kyrgios uh, talking a little smack. We've seen Jack Sock. All of these players getting amped up. What are your favorite parts of Laver Cup in terms of the social media aspect?
2: It is by far the best event for social media of the entire year. You never get reactions like you do in this event when the players are with each other celebrating, jumping all over each other, just going absolutely bananas. And, you know, we saw a clip today about Jack Sock. When you hear the audio on him, he's like, hey, Grigor told me to f*** off. And it's like, it is just so funny. It's You get things like that you never, ever get. And it's totally, it's a game changer from the, the media perspective when you get all the top players together. And I think the scoring system, not, not, not that big of a fan of how, you know, how lightly weighted it is at the beginning and you know, how at the end things get intense, but it is a good way to sort of... It's almost like they designed it knowing that Team Europe was going to be uh, unfair. <laughs> so like, all right, let's give everyone a chance. So let's just jack the scoring system and have the last day. Literally, if you win every match on the last day, you can come close to winning the tournament.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you can have Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, two of the three on the team every time, yeah, you got to find a way to even scoring. Unless they start making doubles, though, worth 10 points then it's not too rigged for me. You know, it's within the margin of error right now. But, yeah, you talk about how many times have we seen the Nadal jumping gif from when Federer was playing Kyrgios in 2017 and just going absolutely bananas. Or just I like, mean, you know, Team World doing their different team celebrations on the bench. I, it really is. It, it's tennis, social media, gold.
2: How about Roger Federer coaching Alexander Zverev? Yeah, and Nadal
1: like the sitting, sitting in Federer the But the guy's Federer comes
2: up to him at the changeover. He's like, look. He's like... You you gotta you, you know you you hit such a big ball you hit that big ball you gotta step up in the court, otherwise you're not giving yourself any advantages. He's like you get up ready and ready to hit the next ball, you know, and, and it's just like that is such a glaring issue with Zverev, and then you get Roger freaking Federer who wants to win the event, so he's gonna give him some good coaching. Is like, look, dude, you have to step up in the court. At certain points in time, you cannot win a match from eight feet behind the baseline.
0: Yeah,
1: and again, the best was you know Federer's giving Zverev that speech, and Nadal, you know, like a like the best assistant coach in the world is just staring at Fed like uh huh uh huh Alex, are you hearing this uh huh? And it's just well because Nadal does it
2: too. Nadal's eight feet behind the baseline, hits a super heavy forehand. Then he's then he you know sprints up eight feet, does a nice split step, and if he gets a short ball, he's certainly not hitting his short balls from behind the baseline, which you see with Zverev a lot of the times. So that's when he pulls the trigger. He's just too far back. why step up.
1: Absolutely, and then you talk about it from a doubles standpoint. You get to see Federer and Nadal on the same side of the court. You get to see Sock Kyrios on the same side of the court. Honestly, I'd watch Jack Sock play doubles with anyone and enjoy it. It's just you get to see Sock take forehands, mock seven at Federer. So it's get,
2: playing doubles with Jack Sock is a joke.
1: Yeah, it's a dream it is come incredible.
2: From. Every shot he hits bounces at the feet of the opponent. You're just it's like overhead practice when you play with him. Yeah, his forehand scares atp players they don't want to volley it it's and, like okay
1: and again i'm going to do a little plugging here to uh later today you will hear our podcast with bethany Maddox sands where she talks about getting to play olympic doubles with sock and at they won the gold at the mix in 2016 and how fun it was yeah i mean i'm all in on that that's always for me some of the most fun of the parts of the tennis weekend is that we get to see all of these guys on the doubles court and all the skills they have plus you know, it, it really does feel, you know, people say the quality, it's not as intense as a Grand Slam, and no one's expecting it to be. This is a glorified exhibition overall. But you can't tell me watching these guys play that they don't care, that they don't want to win, because you see the investment on all of their faces. And again, as you mentioned, that's where some of the great content comes from.
2: It'll be interesting to see the ATP Cup and how that goes with the players, but but I, I don't see in any world how that's going to exceed You know, the excitement of the Labor Cup. You got John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg across the court coaching against each other. I mean, it's just too good. The Labor Cup, from a social media perspective, is the best event um, on the calendar by a mile. And it's not even close.
1: Federer-Borg versus McEnroe-Sock. Who wins that matchup?
2: Federer-Borg versus McEnroe-Sock. Ooh, Johnny Mac and Jack, for sure. That's
1: what I'm saying, because Borg, respectfully, is probably the worst player on the court at this point, right?
2: You would think so, given how much Johnny Mac plays and how in, in shape he is.
1: That's what I'm saying. And he is the, maybe the best doubles player of all time, so you know he can still knife a volley. And like, I mean, his hands.
2: The hands on that that team, you could hit the ball as hard as you want. It's coming back. And not only is it coming back, it's coming back with accuracy and precision. Because that's, that's one of the things about Jack that makes him special in doubles. And we should probably end at some point here. This is the last thought I'll probably have is, most players, if you get the ball ripped at you, you, you reflex it back and you just hit it back to sort of where it came from. But Jack's hands are so good if he can actually control where the reflex volley goes, which not very many people can do.
1: Yeah. It's, again, if it's a tied score by like the last day, instead of playing an extra singles match, put Macaron Borg on the court, let them pick their partners, and let's watch a doubles coach player duo to decide it because I'm all in on that sort of match i maybe the tennis quality wouldn't be as great as i'm hoping but i would watch
2: i'm sure McEnroe would be down for that yeah
1: exactly he's like let's definitely do that please um but all right with that being said as you mentioned we're going to be talking more labor cup we'll be talking all these atp and wta events throughout the week on the mini break podcast on the great shot podcast we have our atp players to watch down the home stretch that'll be coming out wednesday Interviews-wise, ton of great guests in the queue. But Bethany Maddox Sands out today. Definitely go give that a listen. Our interviews with Steve Johnson, Mitchell Kruger. Uh, be on the lookout for that really fun mini break planned with Vicky Duval and an extra third guest planned for Thursday night to be released Friday. So I promise listeners, be on the lookout for that. But that's what's going on on the Crack Racket side. Kale, for our listeners who are wondering what you're up to, where can they find your work this week? What are you up to?
2: So I'm gonna be doing a nice recap of the Dallas event. I'm gonna be breaking down the you know the games of all the NBA players <laughs> and hopefully try and get some you know cross sport action going on with that article. I think it's a good chance to you know give some more exposure to tennis because Steve Nash, 2.5 million followers on Twitter, Dirk Nowitzki, 4 million followers on Twitter. I think it's a good chance. I think with the footage that we have and a bunch of stuff, I think. Uh, I'm gonna hopefully get it out tomorrow, maybe maybe um, Wednesday at the latest. But to find out all the event and you know to get a sense of you know what these players are like and that that's what I'm working on this week. And congrats to you guys on all these interviews. You guys are really stepping it up. It's cool to see.
1: Appreciate you saying it. Look, it's all part of being under that Tennis Channel Podcast Network umbrella. And with that in mind, that would have never happened without our super producers, Max Flingner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do. And as I like to say, Westoff hundreds of thousands of dollars that's what you're worth to us but with that being said for my wonderful co-host kale hammond to again our tennis insider at tennis.com at tennis channel where you can find all of his work for our super producers max Sligner, daniel westoff and from our entire team at cracked rackets i'm your host alex gruskin kale what do we tell our listeners that's
2: a break my friend
1: and we will see you all tomorrow thank you everyone